Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Hey, Jason. Today we have a timely conversation regarding harvest bounty and Thanksgiving and the fall season in general, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We thought we'd get in on the pumpkin spice mania, and this is our official (laughs) pumpkin spice podcast. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) We spoke with John Ackerman, who's the owner of Ackerman Family Farms in Morton, Illinois, which interestingly is the pumpkin capital of the world, self-proclaimed, but with good reason. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear John's origin story, how he went from uh, corn, soybean, some cattle farming, and now he's kind of really gotten into the agro-tourism industry. If you think these specialty crops are an interesting thing to learn more about, I'd encourage you to reference our episode 33 as well, where we talked to Charlie Thompson, who's a sweet corn breeder for IFSI. Yeah, and also Preston, I know you and I both enjoy just talking to kind of regular farmers about their operation. And in our previous episode with John Kowalczyk from Western Canada was also really interesting. For sure. So without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with John. Well, welcome to the podcast, John. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your background, educational work history, and what you're up to now? Sure. Well, I should tell you up front, uh, my name is John Ackerman with my wife, Eve. We own Ackerman Family Farms just east of Morton, Illinois, and uh, we just completed our 22nd year of being open to the public uh, during the fall season. Uh, gosh, my history. Well, a very long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, <laughs> I was born uh, here in this area and, and was raised in the house I live in now. Our farm was started by my great-grandfather, I think, purchased it. The story is he took 16,000 silver dollar coins into the bank to buy the quarter section, 160 acres. So I'll tell you how much land <laughs> wow. prices have changed. Yeah. <laughs> that was October 8th, 1909. So we're, we were over a century here. Uh, typical farm, uh, you know, made it through the depression, uh, cattle, hogs. Uh, by the time I was born in the 60s, uh, dad had, had uh, quite a hog operation going with uh, Yorkshire breeding hogs. Uh, as the years went by, Kind of went into the 80s and, and things were tough on farmers. I guess our story is uh, we made it through, but uh, I think we started the 80s with about 3 million farmers. And depending on how you count a farmer, I think there's only less than half of those left I mean, by the time the 90s rolled around. So uh, what I noticed was the theme seemed to be either got big or you got out or you got a, far, a job off the farm. Or uh, you could try to do something in farming ground intensively, like specialty crops. So that's what we started doing, uh, doing some experimenting in mid-90s. So what kind of specialty crops did you start growing then in the mid-90s? Well, we tried several things. Uh, we did some sweet corn that we sold uh, roadside. Uh, and we did some fresh cut flowers. But we live on Highway 150 in central Illinois. Uh, you know, I used to look at that like a liability you worry about your pets, you worry about your kids, people are mad at you when you pull out with farm equipment. Uh, but now, you know, we kind of look at it as an asset. Maybe we could get people to stop. But what we found, if you have just one thing, like say fresh cut flowers, it's hard to get people to stop for just that one thing when they might be going to the store to where they're picking up everything else and, you know, convenience of picking up something else there. I started uh, in the 80s, I started uh, contracting with our local Libby's to grow the processing or canning pumpkins. And in 19, 
98, I believe it was, I had a contract and they came to harvest it, which they do. But it was really my job to take the ones that are growing down into the ditch in the creek and toss them back up because those pumpkins are harvested mechanically. Uh, I didn't get there in time. Uh, I came afterwards, all these pumpkins are growing down in the creek. I thought, what a shame that is. I threw them in my pickup truck. I tossed them out on our lawn just for the kids to see when they got off the bus. But people began to stop and they'd say, are those for sale? And I said, you bet they are. <laughs> we started with an acre and a quarter or about 20 or 25 varieties of different pumpkins. We had my mom's old school bell sitting on a straw bale with a little sign saying, ring the bell if you need help. And an honors bucket out there. Came home one day, there's $200 in the honors bucket. And we thought, that's that's pushing people's uh, honor. <laughs> the next year, 2000, uh, we grew to five acres. Then the next year, eight, then 12. Now we're up to 30 acres of hand-picked ornamental pumpkins, gourds, and squash. And uh, we raise over 160 different varieties. So you, you started off pretty small there. Almost You almost came into this by accident, so to speak, it sounds like. You know, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I mean, we were looking for what we could do to be to maintain being full-time farmers. Uh, I did. I tried selling long-term care insurance door-to-door. Uh, that was a pretty tough road to hoe. My heart was always here on the farm. Uh, you know, we still had cattle going into the late 90s, and uh, it was just tough to make a living and, you know, feed all four kids every day. <laughs> so we were looking for things to do, uh, but that really was the spark of what got it started. And that first year, you know, back in the 90s, people thought about buying a pumpkin as just an orange jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. But things sort of began to evolve in our industry. And I remember I saw this variety that was blue. It was a kind of a gray blue. And I thought, I'm going to raise those. And when I put them out, people would say, that is the ugliest pumpkin I've ever seen. But then they'd say, give me three of them. So I knew I was on to something there. So we really try to, we get our seed from all over the world. Uh, a lot of old heirloom varieties. We try to be those people that have something you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, it's pretty easy to go down to Walmart and just pick up a $5 pumpkin or whatever, but you, you really have some unique stuff. You, you mentioned that you have a lot of different varieties, a lot of different colors, shapes. There's all kinds of pumpkins out there, right? There are. Uh, I've heard as many as maybe 900 pumpkins that have either been recently developed or bred or ones they're still finding all over the world. We've got pumpkins that are red, we have white, we have blue ones, we have yellow ones, pink ones, uh, you know, they're all different shapes and sizes. Uh, and, and the other side of it is, so yeah, we might have something unique, but we're not just selling a pumpkin. We're kind of selling a farm experience. We, people come out here because they know it's a, it's a working farm. It wasn't just a place that somebody bought and started selling at. They see the house that I live in, that I raised my kids in, that my great grandfather helped design. And my dad, he was born in this house. So, you know, people talk about, gosh, how do you compete with the big box stores? And, and I'll tell them outright, you don't, you don't want to compete with them. It's not all about price. It's, it has a lot to do with the experience. Now, we hope we have a great product, too, but we want to give them a, a good farm experience out here. So do you have other activities on the farm there for people to participate in? Yeah, we do. We've got a family-friendly corn maze. It's kind of a mid-sized corn maze. Our goal was to make it, oh, about a 45-minute to an hour experience, uh, relatively easy to find your way in and out. The challenge is to find the, the clues that are hidden inside that some unnamed Henri farmer put in there. Uh, we also have our animals. This farm's always had animals on it, but now we have 
just a whole display of different ones there and they can kind of interact with. On uh, weekends, we have hayrack rides. Uh, sadly, we have almost ended our uh, educational field trip program because when, when the pandemic hit, it became very difficult to do those. We have had over 30,000 school children come in the last 22 years to our educational field trip. So it's on one hand, it's, it's a relief not to be that busy, but on the other hand, it makes me sad that we don't get to touch the lives of young people who are interested in pumpkins. Yeah, there's such a disconnect now between production ag and the consumers. So it's really cool that the students get to access a real farm. And it would be sad if you had to slow that down or shut that aspect of your farm down. I wanted to kind of get into a different subject. So more of the agronomic side, a lot of our listeners are farmers. I'm curious, what are some of the <clears throat> similarities and some of the differences between growing pumpkins versus growing corn soybean rotation? Well, there are quite a few. Uh, one would be row spacing, of course, and seed spacing. We modify, I use a finger pickup uh, planter. But I mean, and, and others use vacuum planters, but either way, you have to change the spacing. Um, a common planting for ornamental pumpkins might be 2000 or 2200 the seeds per acre. Uh, I think it's fairly common for the processing ones to be around 44, 4600 uh, seeds per acre. Uh, so you have to modify the equipment, and the nitrogen levels are less than corn. So that's important because you don't want to have just vines and no fruit. The hardest part of all of it is the lack of chemicals that are available. Weed control, I think, is my toughest challenge by far. So there are millions of acres of corn and beans and billions of dollars involved there. So the companies that have the herbicides can put a lot of research and time and development into those products. There's not that many acres of pumpkins and it's very difficult to get something labeled. So there are some products out there, but it's not the selection you have for corn or soybean. And I assume your mechanical weed control options are kind of limited too. Once the pumpkins start to grow, they don't really stay in a real nice row, do they? No, they don't. So when you do conventional tillage, uh, you can cultivate right up until what we call flop. The vine kind of grows up and flops over, and then the cultivator sweeps start catching the vines. So you got to cultivate very timely. Some others have tried, and I tried one year, uh, cover crops that, with some success. There are people who have done it well. But if you go that route, you don't no longer have the option of mechanically cultivating so, uh, you know, that sharpen that hoe and get out there with a bunch of guys is a common way to take care of weeds. I'd imagine that there's a lot of bugs that like to munch on pumpkins, too. Is that more of a problem in a cover crop situation or not really? Well, I don't know if it's so much a difference with a cover crop. I think it just varies year to year. And oddly, this year I had a melon worm that I had never had before, not ever. And it did a fair amount of damage, but it did it very, very late. I'm checking to see if that's just a one-shot thing or if that's going to be a problem every year. Sometimes something comes in and it's a new problem and, it, and it's with us for years. And sometimes it's like a one-year thing and seems to disappear. So hopefully it'll be one of those. Well, and that's so true with weed control. Just when you finally get enough products or expertise or, or what it takes to, uh, to get ahead of a certain type of weed, here comes the next one. So... Uh, and the same is true in insects. Uh, so we see sometimes they just blow in. <laughs> do you grow any of the massive pumpkins, the large ones, or 
Okay. What's the trick to that? Is that a nitrogen thing, a watering thing? How what, how do you get pumpkins? Maybe out he doesn't want genetics? to give away his trade secrets. No, no, no. I've, I, I've set no records. I, I think the trick might be singing them lullabies. I'm not really sure. Uh, the truth is I plant uh, the most common of the large record setting ones are Dill's Atlantic Giant is a variety. I plant those in my field along with other all the others. It has the genetic potential to be you know, record setting, 2,000 pounds, theoretically. But uh, I don't have the kind of time it takes and a special fertilizer. You know, the guys who really are good at that, they do perfect watering. They have specialized fertilizer. Some use seaweed even. Um, so there's, it takes a lot of time to grow a giant, a true giant. The biggest one I've ever grown is 300 pounds. At our local Morton Pumpkin Festival, they've had some over 800 pounds. Wow. I believe the current world record is around 2,600 pounds. Oh, man. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I've, and I've been told that if you raise the largest pumpkin in any given year, you can sell each seed from that pumpkin for $100 a seed. And I know a pumpkin wow. can have 800 or 1,000 seeds sometimes. So <laughs> Farmer John here has some uh, pretty big aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not sure I have the time to follow through on it. Tell us some other, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think pumpkins are fascinating. Do you have any other little interesting tidbits like that about pumpkins for us? Well, it's, it's so interesting to me. Of course, now you're in, in my wheelhouse, but it's amazing the number of pumpkins we sell that get sold clearly to be decoration that truly have been raised as food pumpkins all around the world for centuries. So there's all kind of pumpkins and I get more and more foodies every year The people come out very specifically for certain pumpkins and uh, some of them just awesome in the food realm. I had, there was a blue pumpkin, it's called a Jardale, uh, from Europe. Uh, it has an incredibly thick flesh, about four inches thick. I tried to carve one once, I will never do that again. But this lady came every week to get one dozen. She wanted them perfect, which is tough to do, but she took them to a restaurant to make soup. And she wanted that very specific kind. So at our Fet Morton Pumpkin Festival, they'll have pumpkin chili, pumpkin ice cream, pumpkin pancakes, pumpkin cookies. It's amazing what you can do in the food realm with pumpkins. My wife thinks that putting pumpkin in anything makes it better, basically. She's right. And you listen to her. She's a wise woman. <laughs> so you mentioned Morton, Illinois. Is central Illinois significant? Is Morton actually the pumpkin capital of the world? Well, you bet it and is. so why? Well, here, here's why we get to claim being the pumpkin capital of the world. Uh, in most of the many uh, past years, 85% uh, of the world's canned pumpkins and 95% of this country's canned pumpkins have come from right here in Morton, Illinois, at the local Libby's plant. Uh, it's just been such a neat slice of Americana that we can celebrate uh, those, the pumpkin harvest. Is there something unique about central Illinois that lends to that kind of production or did it just kind of happen that the infrastructure was here and a lot of people and it kind of took off? It's kind of a combination of both really. Uh, so far as where we are in the country, there's a, there's a slice of the country through the middle of the country that some people call the orange belt. Uh, you can grow pumpkins there. Too far north is too short of a growing season. Too far south is often humid and wet, and that's hard on pumpkins. Pumpkins do better when it's dry. So we're in the right latitude. We in central Illinois are blessed with beautiful soils. Uh, we've had farmers here have grown pumpkins for a very long time, so there's a pretty fair amount of expertise. And then as far as infrastructure, 
I believe in the late 60s, early 70s, the canning company here in Morton began doing the pumpkins themselves. They have always had, or for years, my, I think my dad even met my mom when they were canning sweet corn back in the 30s. <laughs> but they moved the pumpkin production to Morton. So that's uh, that plays into it as well. But uh, there are a lot of acres in the area devoted just to processing pumpkins. There's an annual pumpkin festival. Yeah. Is that it, worth, worth a trip? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, like I said, it's just such a slice of Americana. It's just such a fun festival. Uh, it's uh, in early September. It's in Morton, Illinois. Of course, there's the carnival rides and things, but there's all kinds of events that go on. They even race uh, uh, boat races in giant pumpkins. <laughs> they uh, have a parade that we're involved in every year. We have a pumpkin decorating contest. Uh, Libby's uh, donates the pumpkins. Uh, our farm uh, provides the area where people can pick them up and display them. Uh, there's just so many things going on that are pumpkin related. We have pumpkin pancakes breakfasts that are just amazing. And you wouldn't believe how many people they can run through those food tents in a short amount of time. I'm sure that's a big draw for locals, but does that draw in people from all over the world too? It's amazing. There's a lot of people who have moved away that will come back for the festival. There's so many uh, class reunions scheduled for that week because everybody's back in town. We draw people from all over the country. I think they had maybe 75,000 people attend this year. Wow. So it's, uh, I mean, it's kind of a big deal in, in uh, small town America and uh, people are friendly and nice and it's just, I don't know, that, that pumpkin is such an icon of fall harvest, you know, that it just shows the bounty God gives us. And then we get to celebrate it on top of that with friends and neighbors. And it's just a neat, neat thing to take part in. I don't know the history of pumpkins or where they came from as far as in the globe, but they definitely seem more popular maybe in America than in other places. But maybe that's just my impression. No, I think there's a huge market in this country. And I've often wondered you know, how we could explore the markets in other countries. There are some countries really interested in a non-root crop as a staple. And so with pumpkins, you get a lot of tonnage of good quality, healthy food per acre. I think there's a market to be explored there. Are there any other pumpkin facts, John? Um, any other uses of pumpkins? I know when I was a kid, I used to grill pumpkin seeds and I love a good batch of pumpkin seeds, but any other uses? There's actually a type of pumpkin I grow that is a holeless. It doesn't have that thick coating on the seed, so it has holeless seeds. Uh, I believe it's KK, K-A-I, K-A-I. I, I couldn't tell you its origin. But, uh, and there's a styrene pumpkin that I believe is from Europe, uh, oilseed pumpkin. So there's seed for food. There's oil that has a lot of health benefits, they say. I know that the people are using pumpkin in dog foods even. And there's a lot of talk about pumpkin being a kind of a home remedy for worms, either animal or human. So wow. uh, it's amazing the amount of things that you can make out of your average pumpkin. So look for your pumpkin spice puppy chow coming to a store near you. <laughs> well, there's pumpkin spice, everything else. So I did see a sign at an oil change place that said uh, pumpkin spice uh, motor oil. So okay. <laughs> I think we've, uh, we've pretty much covered the market now. <laughs> It's pretty well saturated, it sounds like. <laughs> so, John, this has been a really interesting conversation. There's probably maybe other farmers out there that are in a similar situation to where you were maybe 20 years ago, where they're kind of at a crossroads. Maybe they're a smaller farmer, and, and they're wondering about how to increase revenue a little bit on sort of a limited number of acres. Do you have any advice for another farmer that might be interested in getting into the more agritourism realm, kind of like you have? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, my wife and I, after doing this for a couple of decades, have seen the good and the bad of it. So I guess my my first advice would be don't grow something unless you have a market. I've heard horror stories of people who have great plans and put in some acreage of different produce and then they had nowhere to go with it because, you know, as hard as, as much work as growing the, the produce is, the sales end of it is just as much work. And you've got to figure out a way to market whatever you grow. You've got to make decisions whether you're going to wholesale or retail. And that's a huge decision because if you wholesale, hopefully you'll have a contract and you know exactly what you'll get. It's easy to do the pencil work. But if you retail it, you can hopefully capture more of the money involved. But I'd really, I'd really tell people is go into it with your eyes wide open. Don't just think it's going to be all wonderful. People compliment us. I take it as a compliment. They'll walk to our place when it's all pretty and all these pumpkins are displayed and, and everything just looks great because you're in the middle of harvest. And they will say, I wish I did what you do. And I totally take that as a compliment because I know what they're saying. They're really just saying this looks great. And it is. It's a great blessed life. But what they don't see is all the sweat and long hours uh, that happened prior to and even during sales time. My wife and I put in 100-hour work weeks sometimes back-to-back -back through September and October. And I love being around people. I don't, you know, people, everybody says they're a people person. But I, I, I really love being around people. But despite the fact we have the best customers ever. You know, we have foodies and grandparents and animal lovers and nature lovers and, and decorators and We've had proposals at our place and even some a couple of weddings. We have the best demographics for customers, but still you'll get that one in a thousand and they will create problems that you have to decide how you're going to deal with. And you have to decide, do you have the personality to put up with that? Because there are some people that uh, really, truly, they think they want to be their own boss, but I'm not sure they'd be happy being their own boss, you know? So there's a lot of opportunities in agritourism world. I don't want, I don't want to be the anti-motivational speaker for anybody, but sometimes <laughs> you hear numbers and figures uh, and they say, it makes it look like you're going to get rich. Uh, we're still not rich. <laughs> if if <laughs> richness is measured in monetary means, then no, but there's a lot of other riches, you know, there's, there's doing something you love and meeting people who are kind and, uh, and getting to tell a story of agriculture. So maybe and occasionally getting to do a Christian witness to people. So there's a lot of riches, but if you think it's going to make you a ton of money, man, I, I encourage you to push that pencil. So it sounds like it's really important to just do your homework, talk to some other people that are involved maybe, and, and really take a, a good look at the whole process and get a good understanding of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really, and try to look behind the, the beauty of it. Try to look behind the scenes. Try to see what somebody had to do to get it to that point. Uh, we pick all our pumpkins by hand. That is a lot of labor. Uh, we'll pick as many as 30,000 pumpkins every year. Well, in Illinois, uh, for good or for bad, the minimum wage is going up and it's going up rapidly. And our single biggest expense for the agritourism side of our operation is labor. Well, it's going to essentially double in a six-year period we worry that could put us out of business. And people say, well, just double the price of your pumpkins. You can't do that. <laughs> you, you can, I mean, you can try to raise it, but you won't sell twice. You won't sell the same number of pumpkins if you raise it, if you double the price. I think our customers, you know, we know, you know, you don't have to have a pumpkin. You got to put food on the table first and then you can, and then you maybe enjoy 
some recreational and decorating things. So if those input costs are rising that quickly, is this what you want to do? You need to know that. We have honeybees out here and people say, oh, I want to raise honeybees. And I have, I've heard from a fellow that's a real expert in this area. He said, I wouldn't do it now. He said, until they figure out the colony collapse, why would you want to lose half your hives every single year? That's not a good business model. That's good information to know. I still have hives, but I, don't, I didn't invest a ton of money in it. I have some hives. How many kids How do you have to hire to pick all those 30,000 pumpkins? Well, altogether, we hire between 25 and 30, uh, mostly young people. And my field crew was, I would say, about eight or nine uh, young men this year. I mean, we have young women as well. I am often their first job. And I have enjoyed being a mentor for someone. But I, I will teach them, this, is, this may not be the job, your dream job. You know, most people are not going to be a pumpkin picker all their life. But this is a stepping stone to your next job. And it may be the stepping stone to your dream job. And if you are a good worker for me, I will be the best reference you could ever have. So, you know, so we've even had young men and women say, oh, well, we know your guys are behind. We'll come out, we'll work for free. And I'll say, no, you won't. Because you need to know, and I appreciate them invested with us that way, but they need to know that their time is worth money. Now they got to make it valuable time, but they should know that for the rest of their lives, that their time is worth money. They should be able to exchange their labor for, for gains. I think that's great advice for someone out there. Do your best at whatever you do and good things happen, I think, in most cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, John, we really appreciate your time here today. When we wrap up these podcasts, we always like to ask about the future of agriculture and what excites you. I think you're an interesting case for this question because you're in the agro-tourism world and also the production corn-soybean rotation world. So curious if you have any response to, to what most excites you about the future of ag? Well, I think more than anything, I really appreciate this sort of, uh, not back to land exactly, but this appreciation of local food and healthy food. I think that is really changing and driving the market. And that leaves for opportunities, not just for the, for the large farmers, but for the small farmers as well. Because you might be able to find that niche crop that you can fill. People, uh, have access to the internet, the, uh, they have more information available to them, they catch on something that excites them, maybe a food product or a health product, and then they look for who's going to grow that for me. And I think there's all kind of uh, opportunities out there for people who want to raise that kind of produce. There's also, and, and along the same route, that because there's a, because the social media is so easily accessed, there's a lot of opportunities to tell the story. You know, if your story is agriculture, there's so much information out there. And if you're a person who has that kind of knowledge, I think you're almost obligated to use whatever option you have to tell the story of agriculture. If, uh, if you're a Christian who feels uh, compelled to do evangelism, then you should use whatever option you have to tell, to witness, because that's the option you have. So out here, that's the things we've been able to do. Every hay rack ride I've ever given, I tell the story of agriculture, uh, do a quick a couple lines of witness, to just tell them how blessed I feel, working hand in hand with God out here. Those are the opportunities that present themselves, and they are out there. Uh, there's a world of opportunities. So I've heard of one, one out of every five jobs in this country has something to do with the food chain. Man, that's a lot of jobs, and there are new ones being created all the time. 
really, no matter what your interest is, there's an opportunity somewhere in agriculture to really kind of marry your interest with agriculture. And I think it is great opportunity out there for people. John, this has been great today. If there's someone listening and has really been interested in this conversation and there's several things they might want to do. They might want to learn more about pumpkins. They might want to learn about the pumpkin festival. They might want to come out to your farm or at least learn more about your farm if they're maybe somewhere a little bit farther away. What do you recommend for someone to learn more about this subject? Well, I mean, certainly they're always welcome to contact us through our website, uh, ackermanfamilyfarmsllc.com. And uh, we, we get a lot of questions throughout the year. So that's always neat to be able to contact people. There's a lot of information available on the internet, especially through universities, uh, so far as production end of things. And man, just making that one-on-one connection with other, other people who are doing what you're interested in. I think that is incredibly important. There's trade shows available. Illinois Specialty Crop uh, will have their uh, annual convention and meeting in January. There's uh, up in Michigan, there's Glexpo in December. Yeah, in December, I believe. A lot of trade shows that are out there uh, that are worthy of going to because there's workshops that kind of open your eyes about uh, things you might not have even known what to ask about. Well, John, we appreciate your time. Well, thank you guys for having me. I very much appreciate it. Always willing to talk pumpkins with anybody. <laughs> it's been great. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.